0: Well, thanks so much, Jacqueline, for, for joining me today. Excited to talk to you because you're building something that I'm jealous that you're building, first of all, because it's uh, it's at sort of this great parallel of investing and using it for impact, which obviously the industry is kind of blowing up right now, I think. There, there's a lot of different reasons why, but but we'll get into them. But let's let's quickly start maybe with your journey and what your path was like. Before carbon equity and a little bit of, of your background,
1: my uh, I think my my professional journey started with my first startup, which I founded during whilst I was a student. It's called the Kleine Consultants, and it's um, by now a pretty well known Dutch student organization. It's a nonprofit, student run strategy consulting firm. Mm. The idea emerged because I was consulting my friends who were film students, and they wanted to start a new company, and they were entirely clueless about how to go about. So they asked me for some advice. And I sat with them for a couple of hours and we sort of resolved nice. their problem in a couple of hours. And, and then the idea just fell from the sky of like, Hey, wait a minute. There are tons of small businesses who need strategic advice, but can never afford to hire McKinsey. Such uh, a great
0: point. Yeah.
1: I'm, yeah. There are so many smart students who go to all these business courses and access strategy consultants. Why wouldn't we do that for real life cases? so that was how the clinical Zulden was born and we just ultimately I found a co-founder and we just started it and now it's an organization it has by now had thousands of clinical Zuldens with their offices in every city in the Netherlands and that has been for me a very inspiring it really inspired my entrepreneurship path because it was such a cool journey to go from nothing to like now a thriving organization which is much bigger than myself and that has mm-hmm. lived beyond myself so that has always been the inspiration to build more companies more organizations <laughs> I think it's the most beautiful experience that you leave something that you build something so um so from there on I accidentally ended up in private equity I wasn't planning on moving into private equity I hardly knew I literally didn't know what private equity was when I started my first <laughs> private equity but I had a literal once in a lifetime opportunity there is this private equity fund and they only hire people once in their life straight out of university. They have zero experience hires. Interesting. Yeah, which is very abnormal, especially in PE. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very values-driven, it's a family-owned private equity firm. It's also listed on the socket exchange. called Hall Trust. And they're extremely values-driven. So they, uh, so it's entirely unlike your typical uh, leveraged buyout PE fund. Mm-hmm. They really invest for the very long term. They rarely sell anything. And uh, so that's why they only hire people once. So you really grow up within the set of values of the fund. And that was fun. I mean, I learned a lot as a as a fresh uh, fresh grad. Uh, my job was basically to buy companies, so. You know, that's the cool thing about being it's an investor. It's a cool
0: job. That's a cool job.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the core job of an investor is to understand things really well. And so in Hall, you learned that, you know, what is your and Where do you think an industry is heading? And and it was all about, I I, I didn't know how to do evaluation when I got mm-hmm. to Hall Investments, but they would just be like, okay, make us a valuation model and would not explain how. So they would ask you to really understand the fundamentals. Like what, you know, how do you think? how you should build a valuation model so it was it was fun it was very useful but like i for four years i felt like okay i really want to be on the other side of the table i want to be an entrepreneur again so ultimately, I decided to uh, to do exactly that. I uh, started spreading the word that I wanted to start a company. And then somebody said, like, talk to Rocket Incident. So I spoke to Rockets, and they were like, OK, well, do you want to start a company abroad? And I thought, well, why not? <laughs> so I thought, you know, New York, here I come. Uh, and then they asked me to go to the Philippines, and I didn't know where the Philippines was. Yeah, I thought, you know, if you don't have a go, you'll never know. So uh, I thought, you know, if it's horrible, I'll be back within a year. and so. I moved to Manila, and uh, and I spent there six years. I ended up there working six years. So first, I built for Rocket Internet their online real estate platform in the Philippines called Lamudi. It was an amazing adventure and and built the company from scratch to 100 people. So learned a lot about you know first steps of pulling a company from the ground, hiring your first people, your mishires, miss uh, mm-hmm. learning to fire somebody for the first time, learning how to build a bit of an organization structure, but also learning how to be a leader and how to be a CEO. And I made a lot of mistakes in, in doing so, but it was an awesome training ground. Uh, I did that for close to four years. Um, at a certain point felt that my learning curve was flattening, so I moved on. I became a CEO to a large fintech company backed by n Financial. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. where we did microfinancial solutions and then I got an offer to become a partner in a Dutch VC firm. I took that offer, but what <laughs> I realized in that VC firm was uh, two things. One, I wasn't ready to be an investor yet because as an investor, you sit you're in the passenger seat or maybe you're in the back seat of the car, but you're mm-hmm. not in the driving seat. And as an investor, you're all about enabling, you're about spotting opportunities and you're about enabling other people's success. And I wasn't quite, I haven't lived all of my dreams as an entrepreneur yet. So I first want to build my own companies, be successful in my own right, before I take the step in, you know, as an investor, support others in their journey. So, and the other thing that I lacked, I guess, was purpose. Um, Because at Peak, uh, you know, we were investing in SaaS and marketplaces. And so ultimately, if you really boil it down, our measure of success was making rich people richer. And <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it comes down to as a investor. Yep. And um, so I thought, you know, what am I spending my time and talent on? And that didn't fulfill that, you know, that didn't sufficiently fulfill me. So I decided to um, move out of the fund, which was a big step to drop my position as a partner yep. and to found carbon equity. And in carbon equity, it all comes together because on the one hand, it's a scalable tech platform, but on the other one, it's an investing platform. And you know, in my career, I learned that money moves the needle. Money is uh, the thing that makes the world go around. And so it's an incredibly powerful weapon against climate change. And, and that's our quest. How can we leverage capital to mitigate climate change in the most effective way?
0: How did you decide to do carbon equity versus something else? Did you know you wanted to build an investment platform? Was that always the the main idea? Because you've kind of worked in on the investor side kind of a lot, right? For most of your career, you've kind of been on that side. So you, I guess you knew that side, but was there any thought into building something else? Like you said, like maybe some type of you know SaaS or some type of other fintech product, or was it always something going to be focused on climate and finance?
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, three years ago, I read the book, The Sixth Extinction, and it's a really amazing book, which talks about the five prior great extinctions and Thanks. how we're right in the middle of the sixth extinction. And that was, for me, a total wake-up call of like, we're actually talking about, you know, extinction and the possibility that, I don't know, within our lifetime, or at least within the couple coming of generations, we're we're really facing extinction of human life and everything else on Earth. So that was really a wake-up call, like... This is not. This is, this is the most relevant problem that I'm going to face in my life. We are all going to face massive effects of climate change. And so I really want to dedicate every moment that I have and every bit of energy and talent that I have to fighting climate change. So for me, it was absolutely clear. I really want to do something about climate change. And the original insight that led to the idea of investing in climate change was... It was the founding thought of carbon equity, what we call carbon equity 1.0. Now we're on carbon equity 2.0, but the original idea, I was flying a lot between Amsterdam and Manila. And at some point I thought like, okay, I need to offset my carbon emissions from flying. Mm -hmm. So I paid 28 euros for my carbon offsets. And then I wondered like, where's the money going? So apparently went to solar panels in India and that triggered a thought of like, okay, but why is my money a donation? Why don't I get to own a bit of the solar panel? And Mm. if I own a bit of the solar panel, could it create a win-win situation where with every transaction that I do, I own an incremental, I invest in incremental infrastructure or technology. I'm literally Mm -hmm. building the new economy whilst also building my own wealth because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an investment. So I get to benefit from it. And it helped us realize that there was this really a paradigm shift from offsetting and buying off your guilt to like Mm -hmm. investing and building and being part of the solution. So I really believe that investing generates a feeling of ownership. you're part of it. you get to benefit from mm-hmm. it. You're, you're, you're proud of it you so it's a totally different mindset. So I really believe in the ownership mindset and that's one of the ideas still very fundamental to carbon equity creating broader ownership of the zero economy because this ownership it's it's a physical thing like you own the stock, but it's also a mental thing feeling ownership over something and that brought us into the realm of investing okay investing is super interesting how yeah. can we get as many possible people to invest because it can first of all we need to invest and we need trillions of additional capital to build the net zero economy but also like can we get as many people as possible to, to have that ownership over that net zero economy so that we democratize and we, we democratize feeling of owning the net zero economy
0: it's you it, it's also kind of changing the dynamic of consumerism where you know we kind of buy a pair of jeans right or you buy a pair of sneakers and you don't it's not like an an asset right we don't we don't think about buying assets like we buy just consumer products hmm. but i i really like this idea of well yeah i want to pick 28 to offset that but but why can't why can't I just own something instead mm. of donating like instead of giving back or donating like I love it and this goes into the nonprofit model and, and all these different things but the idea I think you get more people involved when people get something for yes. their do- for their dollar Right. And
1: it's a more long term involvement because, you know, it's not like one time planting a tree, but it's exactly. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Of a company, you're owning a piece of the future. And and a third reason why investment is quite close to my heart is because I really believe that you need to invest and make money work for you to make it up, to climb up the economic ladder. One of the reasons. Yeah, exactly. And one of a couple of reasons why I feel that way is one, I'm a pretty dumb investor myself. You know, I've worked in private equity, I've worked in VC, I've run a fintech company. (laughs) Now I'm like building an investment platform, and yet I'm really dumb as an individual retail investor. Mm -hmm. You know, I had at some point 100,000 euros in my bank account doing Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. How stupid is that? Because (laughs) if I had invested that 10 years ago, I would have, you know, I would have 10 times my net worth. Mm -hmm. So, like, we must invest to grow our wealth. But then I'm somebody who is, you know, educated, privileged, I have access. But then in the Philippines, what I saw mm. is, you know, it's a, a country where people don't invest at all. People live paycheck to paycheck. They rent They don't own their house. They don't own anything. And then you're just surviving. You can never build your wealth. To build your wealth, you need to start investing. So, And by the time that people get to pension age in the Philippines, they typically have one month of pension income. Like that's that's nothing for the rest of their life. So we need to invest to build up, to to make money work for you, to build up economic resilience.
0: And even access is such a a huge thing. I think any economic... in in sort of any geographical location because like we had talked about before too like in america you have to be like an accredited investor right to really have the opportunity and have access into actual valuable opportunities of investment right so even in you know america right the Biggest economy in the world, there's still an access issue, right? There's still a big access issue for
1: private markets. It's not for public markets, but for private private markets are inaccessible.
0: But but but, but that's where the real wealth is built, though, because by the time it gets to the public market, it's really diluted for for really that you know that big twenty x fifty x return that the people when that company goes public, the real people who make the money are the people who got in at the private part, right? Absolutely, that access. That yeah. access is yeah. is not there for the majority of people. Exactly. Um, and even if it, I think people don't know about that because they don't have access to it, right? So you, if you don't have the opportunity to do it, then why would you even know about it, right? How would you yeah. even know about it? But I think once we get the access available, I think more people then will become educated and will all become better retail investors when we have the sort of opportunities like this.
1: You're absolutely right. Like if you look at, you know, ultra high net worths or uh, professional institutional investors, they allocate typically 15% of their net worth to private market opportunities like venture capital, private equity. Right. And that's where they're making the returns. You know, the rest is for a preservation of value, making sure that your money grows in line with the market. But it's not, the real returns are in the private markets. Every retail investor, like the the private market allocation of retail investors is zero because they don't have access. There is a huge gap and it's very counterintuitive because as a retail investor, if you want to do, have any private market exposure, what you do is angel investing or crowd equity funding. But that's Mm -hmm. super risky because Mm -hmm. you have to do the diligence Instead of you getting to benefit from the professional due diligence of a fund and you have no diversification. So mm. why are retail investors exposed to like the most risky asset out there and have no access to actually sensible private market investing through funds? Doesn't make sense.
0: Let's talk about what carbon equity is and just kind of take us through, I guess, the whole idea and the framework and sort of the mission of it.
1: Our journey started with the question, how does money move the needle? Like, Mm -hmm. how can capital be how can we leverage capital to make the biggest possible impact on climate change and that's how we started thinking like okay uh, we started thinking about all the different asset classes and one of the first things that we realized that there's a lot of fintech innovation going on in public markets there's a lot of esg trackers and a lot of like active stock market picking but if you critically look into it then the additionality the impact of public market investing in these esg trackers is often very low mm-hmm. and they are couple of reasons for that one if you look at uh, your run-of-the-mill esg tracker it is not impact investing it's and do no harm so often mm. it's purely negative exclusion but there's no element of impact investing to it secondly additionality is low because if you don't buy the tesla stock a million other people will <laughs> <laughs> And the third is your capital. Your your impact is indirect because when you buy a stock, you buy it from somebody else, right? It's a secondary transaction. So mm-hmm. it does affect the cost of capital, but when you buy a stock of Tesla, no additional capital goes into the money unless they do an initial public offering where they raise more money. So I'm not saying that it doesn't have an effect, but we should not confuse uh, do no harm investing with impact investing. Yep. And if we wanna be moving the needle on climate change, we need to be impact investing. We need to be building new technologies that actually move the needle and move us closer to a net zero economy. If you look at what investment opportunities are available for retail investors, there are very few in that case. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. What can you do? You can only do public market investing. You can probably do some uh, infrastructure. You can probably finance like a solar mar- park or a wind farm. But Truth be told, the additionality of infrastructure investing is starting to go down because these projects get funded by themselves by now. They have become so lucrative. So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a war going on to fund war at wind farms and, and solar panels. So the additionality is still quite low. Or you can go towards angel investing or, or crowd equity funding. And that has a lot of impacts, make like that super impactful, but it's also very risky. And it doesn't really make sense for people who don't have a massive balance sheet, you know, to and c- who can afford to lose money. Yep. So that was one of the angles that we looked at it. The other one was okay. Currently, we have approximately seventy three trillion available uh, in institutional money for uh, for private market investments. But the layer below that, uh, the affluent market, so people with a capital between hundred k to uh, a million, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a capital base of one hundred fifty two trillion. Wow. That's massive. And mm. then we're not even talking about the retail retail customer base below that. So mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of money sitting with the retail customer. We need a whole lot of money to transition towards a net zero economy. Why are we not leveraging the retail capital that is available but is powerless, right? Mm. This retail mm-hmm. capital is sitting in bank accounts, or maybe it's sitting in the public markets but it doesn't have access to real impact investments, which also makes sense. So the mission of carbon equity is to unlock retail capital for private market climate investments. And we do that by uh, enabling small ticket access to climate funds. So what we do in practice is we curate the world's best climate venture capital, climate private equity, private debt and real assets funds. And we enable access, typically you need five to ten million dollars to even get Access to these funds. And we Mm -hmm. try to bring that down to really small amounts. And that small amount is relative. So we're staging that. So we start with 100,000 euros as a minimum ticket. The next frontier is to get that down to, say, 10,000 euros. And maybe, I'm not sure yet, but I mean, the hope would be that ultimately we can get that down to 100 euros. Exactly, exactly. Any, Any amount, any amount. And the thinking is the lower the tickets, the broader the base of people that can participate.
0: Is the ability to go from a hundred thousand per spot, essentially like the the base level to a thousand or a hundred, is that just policy related or is that the funds not accepting the
1: lower ticket amount? No, it's two things. It's regulatory. Uh, mm-hmm. So for that, we will operate under the ai retail top-up license, um, which allows us to go below the 100,000 euro threshold. And the other thing is unit economics. So carbon equity through technology needs to automate. So the cost of servicing a customer is high. You need mm-hmm. to acquire the customer. You need to onboard the customer, go for all of the KYC, all of the AMLA checks, all of the regulatory uh, requirements, And then you need to deal with the customer, their questions, the so less educated the customer, the more questions you typically get. So, mm-hmm. so it's pretty costly to entertain these investors. And we need to leverage technology to bring down the cost of accommodating these investors as far as possible. And the lower the cost, the, the the smaller the tickets we can offer with positive unit economics. And so the smaller we go. So we have a bit of a top-down scaling approach. So we start in the more traditional market or what we call the affluent markets really the people between 100k to 3 million they understand private markets they have money to invest they want to participate in private markets they have no access and they are super climate motivated like the next gen mm-hmm. investor and that's a super interesting class of people also for the funds because the funds realize that hey wait a minute that's my future customer i want them to absolutely. get absolutely today exactly
0: yeah why i guess who's from the regulatory regulatory standpoint, why wouldn't these sort of big funds, right? These sort of people who are normally there work with policymakers to get that, keep getting that down lower and lower. Because like you said, I mean, they will have more customers essentially, right? If if you can get that threshold lower, let's just say, you know, to 10,000, right? Something like that. What sort of the area right now as far as like policy is anything being worked on for that or like will it be another five to ten years before it could go from that hundred thousand to Oh,
1: that's a that's a good question i mean uh so in the netherlands and certain other european countries it's possible so mm-hmm. once we have the retail top-up license we can actually fully licensed offer below 100k and we plan to do that from the start of next year so okay. probably q1 or q2 in 2022 nice
0: for
1: regulations the Structurally change, I have no idea when that will happen, but I do think it will move in that direction because Mm. it really doesn't make sense that retail investors are exposed to the risks of angel investing, whereas, you know, China. benefit from the, the 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 diversification and therefore much lower risk profile of fund investing. So I imagine that regulation over time will change. Of course regulation is also there for a reason, right? It's trying to mm-hmm. protect sure. data- against risks that they cannot take because VC and private equity are very interesting asset classes from a return perspective. But as, you know, economics 101, return is also correlated to risk, right? So, <laughs> I mean, doing a VC investment is obviously much, it's higher, VC is higher risk than private equity. Private equity actually has return. I mean, the top 50% of PE funds are returning 20% plus IRR pretty steadily. So it's very steady asset class. Has. venture capital is more risky
0: when let's say and a user logs into it's a carbon equity right will they see things to choose from or yeah. does that get do they just say hey here's the money i trust you to to sort of allocate it through the offerings.
1: At the moment, you can you can only choose. So, um, so at the moment, there's only one fund. We'll launch a fund of funds um, by September, probably. The mm-hmm. idea of the fund of funds is that with a single ticket, you get in to invest in uh, up to ten funds. So then, with your hundred k, you should see it as follows. With currently with hundred k, you can invest in one fund, which gives you exposure to ten to fifteen at climate tech companies. Mm -hmm. From September in the fund of funds, that could get you exposure to 100 to 200 uh, climate Mm, tech. companies. So you have more diversification with a smaller ticket. In that fund of funds, you basically say, okay, well, I know a couple of funds that they're investing in. So for example, the 2150 fund that we're launching is an urban sustainability fund, which is gonna be part of the fund of funds. But also it's a bit blind pool, meaning that uh, we will make certain investment decisions for that fund of funds and we will, in a way, allocate your cap- your capital. Mm-hmm. So at Carbon Equity, you, you get the choice. So either you can select the funds that you are interested in, and for us, the end game is that it becomes very modular so that you can invest in a feeder to a fund from any amount, let's say from 10,000 euros, and that you can then say, well, I have 50,000 euros that I wanna invest. I'm interested in private equity. Yeah. I'm interested in venture capital. Gotcha. I'm interested in alternative proteins, or I wanna invest in the mobility theme. And that based on your personal Preferences. You can select funds that match your investment preferences, and then you can take an allocation. So you can build your own personalized fund of funds portfolio. That would be the end game.
0: And this is coming from America. Trying getting used to the ecosystem of the EU. So, like as Carbon Equity being a a Netherlands entity, correct? Like a Netherlands yeah. legal is. legal businesses in the Netherlands. Yeah. Do individuals from Spain or Italy are able to come on to the carbon equity platform and join, or is it is only for like Netherlands citizens? I'm trying yeah, to get used to question. that. Uh, yeah.
1: no, so um, it is actually accessible for European investors, not yet for US investors, but only on the basis of reverse solicitation. So in the Netherlands, we are allowed to actually market the fund actively. So we can go to... Awesome. Uh, do, so great. Yeah. So we can actually uh, start sending out newsletters, etc. But for international customers outside the Netherlands, it only works on the basis of reverse solicitation. So people actually need to email us or create an account at Carbon Equity and show that they have a specific interest in a particular fund. And then, because we didn't market to them, they found us. Then we can actually include them, but we're not allowed to, you know, to air ads or anything uh, internationally just yet. So what we'll do, we'll start from the Netherlands. We'll entertain international customers on a reverse solicitation basis. And then as we go, we'll we'll obtain licenses in other countries and start actively marketing in those countries.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the future. And I know it's like just launching. So it's a lot of, you know, it's probably a terrible question, Love but <laughs> I know, I know, I know you, you've probably thought about this or you and in the team at least, but like, what does success look like? Let's say three to five years, would it be getting more funds, you know, on the platform? Would it be just getting more investors on it because then that allows for more invested in in climate tech like what which side is is sort of most important right now for like the next three to five years
1: yeah that's a good question we measure our impact in our our objectives are actually twofold one is we measure our success by the amount of additional capital that we get into private market climate investments Mm -hmm. and additional means primarily the capital from the affluent group and below so we also serve as high net worths and family offices because typically what they're looking so a lot of family offices and high net worths are starting to become aware of the climate investing opportunity and so they already have a private market allocation but they're increasingly thinking about like hey I'm seeing this climate opportunity and they're motivated from two for two reasons one is like I want to be part of the solution I want to do something about this I want to feel relevant but the other Mm -hmm. one is also like actually see, starting to see the economic opportunity. I mean, climate investing, the innovation needed to transition our fossil fuel-based economy towards a net zero economy is ginormous, just ginormous. So the investment opportunity is huge. Yeah, so yeah. people are starting to see it. And typically these high net worth or family offices actually have the capacity to participate directly in a VC fund or in a PE fund, but they, they're still getting comfortable. They want to dip their toes. So they're not mm-hmm. ready to write like a 5 million ticket. They want to do like maybe 500,000 or million. And so carbon equity accommodates these small tickets. So we we service that that segment of the market, but our additionality, our impact is really in servicing the people who have no access per se. Mm-hmm. So we measure our success in the amount of capital, additional capital that we can bring to climate market investing, to private market climate investments, and the number of people that we reach. So how many people can we get involved? Those are the two metrics that we measure. And at times they are a bit conflicting because one, you could, we're, I think we're still in terms of positioning, we could position currently where we're positioned is in the affluence slash HI field. Our dream ultimately is to get it really down to retail, retail. Mm-hmm. Because... Mm-hmm. If you can reach retail, read to retail, then that becomes super interesting because you get millions of people involved. Our slogan is investing billions with millions of people because that's where the true democratization comes in, where we can yeah. all own a little bit of a slice of the net zero economy. So that's down the line. I mean, that will take us a, a long time to get there, but that's the direction that we want to head. So getting more people involved and more people is typically more capital.
0: I'll end on uh, the last question I'll have is, We kind of the key word we we kind of sprinkled around is sort of net zero economy, right? And what that really looks like, like one, do you think it's do you think it's possible to to get there? If so, is it just capital, right? We still need I think like we still need the founders, right? We still need the ideas. We still need the technology to perhaps you know, keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward through whether it's, you know, artificial intelligence, and a lot of these different, these different areas where these big ideas can actually come to life. So I guess where are we at, like, right now, obviously, we're in the early stages of even talking about like a net zero economy, and then it takes the money and the ideas for to come together. But like, do you think it's even possible that, we as humanity will accomplish this. Because it's a big feat. Like that would be a huge success if we could do that. It'd be amazing.
1: I think it's possible. The question is whether we can do it in time. Mm. You know, I I think, and and that's where I'm more skeptical because it doesn't only require capital. And I mean, everything needs to come together for this to happen. I mean, it's public policy. It's governments willing to do Mm -hmm. the right thing. But it's also us willing to... To make sacrifices, like you know, flying, we need to get to the only way to really mitigate carbon emissions is to price in carbon, the cost of carbon into price mm-hmm. in, in the, into air flight tickets, which means that we're you know the cost of flying will I don't know double, triple, quadruple. <laughs> and we have to be willing to make those sacrifices. We have to be willing to focus less on growth, I guess. To, mm. to so so I think we're we also have to be willing to make deeper sacrifices, which we're not willing to make at the moment to get But like
0: you said before, which was so amazing, is that I think for a person to pay double, right, their airfare, I think you would need to give them like a reason, right? And I think your reason was great is like, okay, I'll pay double, but can my (laughs) double like go to invest, not just go into the ether, right? You don't, you just double, it's like a tax, but- If you double it to where it's like no, you're doubling it, but like it's going to it's going to a car, it's going to a climate tech fund, right? So you're offsetting, yeah, in a way where you're you possibly could have a return rather than it just go into the ether and you never really see it again. Like you're just paying a tax that whatever but like that's why i think what you said was so brilliant is that that would be amazing because i think more people would would not mind doing it right. because they but, know yeah. at least that it's going to something that potentially they can see the rewards for right yeah. whether it's financially or environmentally no
1: that's that's absolutely that's a business true. right
0: there that's a business it, right there it,
1: it is <laughs> and it's I, I still want to build this business sometime down the line Good. <laughs> If people are interested in building this business with me, let me know, but- but, Well, you um,
0: could just work with the airlines though to make that happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've already had many conversations about Mm -hmm. this. That's great. um, That exactly, if you double the air flights, and that, and the and the double, the extra money that you pay is invested in something that benefits you. I mm. mean, in the most basic sense, you're investing that in a more habitable habitable planet. Because what happens if we don't uh, pay the true cost of carbon is that we're going to live in an unlivable planet. And so we should all be motivated <laughs> to 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 make that investment. Except it's a it's a problem. It's a collective. It's a problem of the the commoners. Or how do you call this in game theory? It's a why am I going to pay that you know whereas so these things really have to come from regulation we need to price in carbon i think ultimately this will come down to governments really willing to make the very tough choices that also hurts consumers that hurt businesses alongside people starting to see the massive economic opportunity and we're getting there right like so I think the whole view on climate investing or impact investing has entirely changed in the past three years from it's a financial trade-off to wait a minute there's a massive opportunity here I need to be part of this and as we get more excited about that opportunity more money will flow there and it will be part of the solution not the entire solution.
0: You see, to me, the policy part where it could, it's a win-win for everybody is that the policymakers can just do what we talked about, lower the threshold of the ability for people to invest and not at that hundred thousand or million dollars, whatever what people don't have. But if you change that policy, then you enable people to create different startups around retail investing, right? It you you open the uh, you open the doors for people to then see what their money can do. It's like, okay, it, this, price, this plane ticket was 200 bucks. Now it's, you know, $380, but I know this $180 is actually going to be invested somewhere where it's possible that I could have economic returns from it and it saves the environment away. Like that is, that's deep. I mean, that's a great place to start. I feel like to invigorate all sides of this.
1: Totally agree we should make it happen we
0: should. all right well thank you so much have a, a great rest of your week and best of luck to you and the team for the next decades to come I can't wait to see what happens
1: thank you It will take us a few decades but we'll get there <laughs>